we're going to look at a lot of passages of Scripture tonight together. So I'm, I'm going to go quick. If you can't keep up, take notes, okay? I would really encourage you to take notes. I want you to read these passages. I want you to look at these passages. I want you to contemplate these things. And so just get ready. Have a pen and paper and just know we're going to look at some Scripture tonight together as we walk through this. All right, let's start in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 through 25. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creator, the the creature, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. This account here in Romans gives us a picture of how people move towards the emptiness of sinfulness. And if you'll notice here, it begins with idolatry. The move away from God begins with exchanging the creator with the creature and worshiping an idol. And if you continue reading here in Romans chapter 1, you're going to get to see that things get far worse than what we just read and things are really bad in what we just read. And they get worse because it all began with idolatry and idolatry takes you down the journey, takes you down the path towards emptiness every time. And this passage is not simply to be read as a, as a description of what has happened. It should be understood as also a warning about what will happen. If we flirt with idolatry, we will be ensnared by idolatry and taken down the path to emptiness. Psalm 106, 36. You don't have to turn there, but you can just jot this down. This is a passage talking about God's people coming into the land and the idols in the land. The idols of the land where God's people entered into Canaan became a snare for God's people. Idolatry is always a snare. If, If you practice idolatry, you will be ensnared and you'll be taken down the path of emptiness. And and I'm just trying to remind you tonight that Scripture gives us many examples like this from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end so that we might understand that we need to be a people who are fighting to be free from idolatry. I want to remind you what we talked about last time when we met briefly just about idolatry. Idolatry, if you look at the descriptions of Scripture, you can walk away with an understanding of idolatry as giving loyalty to someone or something 
that is a loyalty that is specifically reserved only for God. So, If you have something or someone in your life that you're showing loyalty toward with a loyalty that only belongs to God and you're not showing loyalty to God, then you are practicing idolatry. If you're looking for the things in your life to supply for you on a daily basis what only God can supply, and you're not looking to God to supply what He has promised to supply, because you're trusting in other things to give you, you're practicing idolatry. If you're living your daily life, just going about your routine, and you're not giving reverence to God and what God has said, you are practicing idolatry. We've got to understand that this concept of idolatry that is expressed through descriptions of people bowing down to to wooden idols or or metal idols is really principally displaying for us that any time we give our allegiance to anything in such a way that we should only give it to God, we are practicing idolatry. Anytime we substitute the place of God as the Lord of our lives with anything else in life, we're practicing idolatry. And all of us have a temptation to practice idolatry. And we have got to fight against this. And the scripture tells us that we should be a people who are fleeing idolatry. There are some kinds of idols that we should simply just flee, like immorality. We should flee it. There are some kinds of idols in our lives that we need to really guard against, like greed. We've got to guard against the idol of greed. And the idols in our life that we cannot flee and that we cannot guard against or we should not flee or should not guard against, we need to simply destroy. We need to flee some idols, guard against other idols, and destroy the idols that are left after we fleed or guarded against the idols, the temptations of idolatry. We, we've got to fight to be free for idolatry, from idolatry. Now, it's been a month since we began to unpack all of this stuff. And I said several times last month to just let some of this settle on your heart. To write down some things, to think through some things. I give you a series of questions to ask and to ask before the Lord and to see how the Lord is working in your life and I just, I just hope you've let it settle on your heart. You've, you've let God begin to deal with your heart. And that you, you, you feel this, this compulsion, this desire to, to make sure that, that there are not idols in your life that you're not fighting to be free from. So that your allegiances are to God and God alone. Because unchecked idolatry in your life is going to ruin you. It will ruin you. And that's not God's will for your life. Now what I want to do tonight is I want to take a few steps forward together. My prayer is that over the last month you've taken some steps forward because you've let some of this settle on your heart and God has been working in your life. Tonight, what I want to do together is just say, hey, as a corporate body of believers, what we want to do is just take a few steps together forward in the right direction. So I want to talk to you about one of the keys, the essential keys to fighting to be free from idolatry. One of the most essential practices in your life that will enable you to fight to be free from idolatry is the practice of prayer. So I want to unfold this whole concept and biblical idea and mandate of prayer. 
And I want you to think about it in terms of prayer is essential in fighting uh, the temptation to be idolaters. In fact, I want you to consider the, the reality that if you are not praying regularly in your life, you are not capable of fighting idolatry. In fact, I can go so far as to say that if you're not praying regularly in your life, there's no question that you are an idolater and there is unchecked idolatry in your life. You cannot fight idolatry when you're not praying. You must be a person who regularly prays to fight idolatry. And look with me at Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. Let's read verse 2 and 3. God's telling Jacob to go to Bethel. And so Jacob says to his household, verse 2, and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you. And purify yourselves and change your garments. And let us arise and go to Bethel, which is Hebrew for the house of God. Let's go where God is, calling us to go to be with him. And I'll make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. That passage is such an encouragement because Jacob's passion for his household to get rid of idols was built upon a significant experience of God answering him in his distress. That's God conversing with Jacob and Jacob hearing God's voice. It's it's what we would equate with prayer. And it's prayer that was so significant in Jacob's life that he demanded his family, make sure we got no idols in our camp when we go to the house of God. Because we're going to build an altar there. And we've got to make sure our hearts are right. Prayer is essential for battling idolatry. Now you might ask the question, well, what do you really mean by prayer? Help me understand what prayer really is. And I'm going to be very basic, very simple. And, and I think the simplicity of what I'm going to say to you will make more sense as we go. Um, you, you might say, I want to know more. And, and I think as we work through this, you'll stop asking that question. You'll begin to understand how you can know more. So we're going to start with something very simple, all right? Prayer is simply a conversation, a relationship with God. That's what it is. It's, it's properly relating to God as our perfect Father in communication. We're communicating with Him. We're talking to Him. And we're talking to Him in such a way that our relationship with Him is, I am your child and you are my perfect Father. And so my conversation with Him reflects that orientation. Prayer is relationship. It's not a formula. Now, I could give you several steps to praying and things that would help you pray and ideas on how to you know, map out your prayers and nothing would be wrong with any of that unless you thought that the way you're supposed to pray follows this formula. No, it's a relationship which means that God and His vastness 
wants to have conversations with you that are unique to you. Do you you know that if I'm supposed to have a relationship with God and it's supposed to be about our communication together, that the way I talk to God about the things that are going on in my life and around my world and about how God is revealing himself to me for his glory, the words that I say and the way that I say them are going to sound very different from you. And if you sound like me, something's wrong. This is my relationship with the Lord, and my communication with Him is going to be uniquely individual. It's a relationship. It's unique. It's personal. It's it's talking with God. Now, it is communication that reflects a belief that God has invited you to participate in his unfolding plan for his glory. Okay, it's, it's, it's a conversation with God as father. I'm coming to him as a perfect father, and I'm talking to him as his son. He knows me, and I can cry out to him in a very personal way that is just unique for me. But the way I cry out to him reflects whether or not I believe that he's invited me to participate in the unfolding plan of his glory. If if you want to have communication with God, make sure that your communication is a reflection that you believe that God's invited you to be a part of what only he can do. Then your talking to God is going to be biblical prayer. Think about in John chapter 4, how the woman at the well had a conversation with Jesus. If you're unfamiliar with that story, this is one of those things you write down. John chapter 4, I'm going to read that later. Jesus meets this woman at the well. She's by herself. Jesus begins to have a conversation with this woman. and She begins to realize that this man that she's met at the well is no ordinary man. She comes to realize through this conversation with Jesus that she's talking to the Messiah. Well, then the disciples come back and she leaves her water pot there at the well. She came for water, but after having a conversation with Jesus, she all of a sudden was very concerned about what she thought she needed because she found what she really needed through conversation with Jesus. And she runs back home, and you know what she does? She becomes a key player in an entire community coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And all of that flowed out of a conversation with Jesus. And when you think about your conversation with Jesus, you've got to think about it in terms of this is a conversation that is supposed to reflect I believe that when I have conversations with God, he's going to enable me, allow me, and invite me to participate in his unfolding plan for his glory. That's the kind of conversations. See, we get to talk with God, and we get to listen to God. If we're communicating with him, we're listening to what he has to say. And as much as God wants us to say what We want and need to say to him what I say to him is far less significant than what he says to me. 
If you can think about what is prayer, a large part of prayer is listening to God. You need to be reminded that all of Scripture conveys to us that God has always been a God. He's revealed to us that He is a God who tells His people what He wants them to know about Himself. He's a God who tells His people what He wants them to do for His glory. He's a God who reveals who He is to those who are listening. God's people never had the question, I wonder what God says. Never. God's people never had the dilemma of, what, what, what is God really Say, no, for God's people, the issue was not whether or not they heard God, but whether or not they would listen to what God said and obey him. See, God wants to speak to us. And so we've got to understand that our communication with him is also largely listening to what he says about himself. Well, how do I hear God? How do I know God's voice? And, you know, I get questions like that often from people. And, I, and, I, and I, I encourage folks, like I'm going to encourage you tonight, don't worry so much about how you will hear God. Just rest on the fact that God has always been the God who has been heard. Just rest in the fact of who He is. Don't get bothered so much about who you are. I'm afraid that my sin is going to get in the way of hearing God. I'm afraid that I'm, I'm going to miss Him here. I'm afraid that I'm going to... You know, then all of a sudden prayer becomes um, skewed because it's no longer about you talking to your perfect heavenly Father who's invited you in to participating in His unfolding plan. Not your plan, His plan. And then all of a sudden you get so worked up about, I wonder if I can hear Him, that you miss the fact that He is the God who says you will Hear Him. He, just trust Him. That He is who He says He is. And that when He wants you to know something about Him, you'll know. You, you know how I, I know that's true? How you should know that's true? Because God has given us His Word. And the clarity of His revelation rests primarily and firstly you want to know what God has said to you? Start here. And when you read God's word, and you understand what God is saying about himself, biblically you should equate that with prayer, listening to what he's saying, and then adjusting your life to him. And then what you're going to discover is that God's going to speak to you in a whole host of ways through your life, when He needs to, as He needs to, in such a way that it lines up in congruence with what He has said clearly in Scripture, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And He's going to guide you because He is so much more concerned about His plan than you'll ever be. Just trust Him. And get in a conversation with and make sure a portion of that conversation is listening to what he says about himself and adjusting your life to him because you believe he's invited you to be a part. See, prayer, prayer really helps in the fight against idolatry. It really makes a huge difference. 
I want to give you several reasons tonight why prayer is so essential in the fight against idolatry. All right, number one, prayer is difficult. Does anybody disagree with that tonight? I mean, prayer is hard, isn't it not? Well, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, the Scripture commands us to devote ourselves to prayer. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many people in here would need to be encouraged to devote themselves to eating desserts. I wonder how many people in here would would need to be encouraged to devote themselves to exercise. You see, you're not told to devote yourself to something that's easy to do. And I'm just telling you, eating a bowl of ice cream is a lot easier than running a mile. The reason the Scripture tells us to devote ourselves to prayer is because it's hard. It's hard work. Listen, the difficulty of prayer is a blessing. All right? Okay, so stop saying things like, I can't pray. It's so hard. Something's wrong with me. I get distracted. I can't think straight. I start to pray, and the next thing I'm doing is thinking about what we're going to do for supper. I'm thinking about what I'm supposed to get at the grocery store. thinking about what my kids need from the, from the mall. I, I just can't. It's so hard. Something's wrong with me. Okay, don't do that anymore. Because, listen, the difficulty of prayer is a blessing. The Scripture would not tell us to devote ourselves to something that was easy, be redundant and unnecessary. The fact is, the Scripture commands us to devote ourselves to prayer because prayer is not easy. And that design is a blessing to us. Because listen, if you will regularly pray in your life, the self-discipline required to carry out that regular agenda in your life is a spiritual battle that is so similar to the fight against idolatry that you will discover that if you will pray regularly, you will have spiritual victory in many other places of your life too. It's it's difficult by design. See, if if you'll, you know, the things that keep us from praying are often things like your agenda, your busyness, um, your, your habits, your hobbies. There's all kinds of things that keep us from praying. Your relationships, Well, all that stuff is about you, and all that stuff in my life is about me. But guess what? When I choose to put all that stuff that's about me and my concerns and my issues and my interests and my time aside, and I spend time conversing with God, my Father, who's invited me and wants to speak to me, then I am putting aside those things that are exclusively about me doing me stuff, and I'm leaving a self-focus behind, and I'm focusing more on Christ. And the more regularly you pray, the more focused your prayers will be on Christ and not on you. It's difficult by design. So embrace the difficulty. Rejoice in the difficulty, and then spiritually exercise your Give your God-given power to pray. And you will find that it will help you fight idolatry. All right, number two. Prayer requires humility. 
when, when you look at how the Scripture describes um, how it describes prayer, the postures of prayer. Scripture describes kneeling and bowing and laying before God and beating your, your chest and crying out. I mean, all these descriptions and postures that are descriptive of humility. And when you think of prayer, what is the greatest thing to do in prayer but to submit yourself to the Lord? To say to the Lord, I want to honor you. That you, you can't come to the Lord in prayer pridefully and expect the Lord to hear you. He says in Scripture that He does not care for the prideful, but He gives His ear to those who are humble. See, prayer requires humility. Now think of the promises of humility. Let's just look at one, James chapter 4. Let's look at James chapter 4. Verse 6, but he says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. That sounds a whole lot like idolatry right there. Purify your hearts, cleanse your hands. Be miserable, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. If you're struggling with idolatry and prayer requires humility and the promise of humility is grace, don't you think prayer will help with idolatry? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, number three. Prayer is to be done often in secret. Prayer is to be done often in secret. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says when you pray, go into your closet, go into your inner room to pray. And if you'll do that, if you'll pray in a way that no one knows you're praying except God, then you will be rewarded by God. And, and the implication in that passage, the whole chapter 6 there, talking about what you do for the reward um, that God promises. The reward is really Jesus. When you go into prayer in that secret place and you are there because you want to meet God, God rewards you with himself. See, prayer is to be done often in secret and if you'll do that, you'll find Jesus. I suspect if you find a little bit more of Jesus every week in your life, you'll want a little bit less of things that aren't Him. Things that are against Him. You just think practically about your secret areas of your life, your secret time. No one's around. Nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody will ever know unless you tell them. Those times when you are secretly alone. What you do in those times where you are secretly alone, and we all have those moments. What we do in those times when we are secretly alone often has much to do with what we really worship. 
So, make sure that those secret alone times are mostly filled with prayer. Because if those secret times where nobody knows where you are or what you're doing, if you will fill those moments with prayer, I promise you, your heart will have less room for idolatry. So much of who you are is defined by what happens in the secret places of your life. Will fill those moments with prayer. It'll help a lot. All right, number four. Prayer plants the promises of God in your heart. Prayer plants the promises of God in your heart. Now, if you're taking notes, write down Deuteronomy 2715. That passage goes with the secret place. All right? So the previous point, Deuteronomy 27.15, talks about a man setting up an idol in secret, how that's an abomination to God. Okay, so prayer plants the promises of God in our hearts. E.M. Bounds, if you want to read anything on prayer that, that is not in the Bible, that will really inspire you. Anything from Ian Bounds is fantastic. He said that prayer is by faith walking into the orchard of God's exceedingly and precious promises. And with hand and heart, Picking the ripest and richest fruit of the promise of God. I love that picture. That prayer is that that walk through the orchard of God's promises. And seeing the promises of God such that you can pick the one you want to devour and rest upon. I'm convinced that that's what Paul is getting at when he says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we should, by prayer and supplication, make all our requests known with God, verses 6 and 7, and that the peace of God will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. I'm convinced that what he's talking about there is if you'll just tell God everything that's on your heart, you will find an attachment to what he has promised in Christ such that peace will reign over your life no matter what you ask. No matter what's driving your request, no matter what turmoil, what issues, what unknowns, what uncertainties are driving your supplications and anxiety, if you come to God and in Christ see what He's given you, His peace is going to rule over you because you're going to be walking in His orchard and picking one fruit after another and applying the promises of God to your heart and it will bring peace to your life. I'm just here to tell you, if you have God's peace... The lure to idolatry is far less deceiving. See, God's promises get planted in your heart when you pray, when you have an attachment to God's promises. You don't buy into the empty promises of idolatry. I can't tell you the number of times in my life when in prayer God has has given purchase to His promises in my heart. 
Okay, number five. Prayer promotes sanctification. I've got to pick up my speed here to finish up tonight. Prayer promotes sanctification. Prayer and sinning just don't mix. If you seek to practice regular prayer, you're either going to stop praying or some sins in your life are going to be changed through the power of God. That's sanctification. You can't do both. You cannot increase regular prayer in your life and increase sin at the same time. It does not work together. And so prayer promotes sanctification. In Ezekiel um, chapter 14, verses 3 through 6, you'll see a description there of people praying to God. And God, I'd love to read this passage. We just don't have time tonight to read it. But if you read this passage, you're going to see that God's going to say, you're coming to me and you're praying and uh, I have a response for you because in your heart you set up idols and when you come to me asking me things, here's my response. Repent! So, so when you pray regularly and you have idols in your life and you're putting yourself before the Lord, the Lord's not going to come and say, nah, we're not going to worry about that. No big deal. No, God's going to say, I've got issues with this in your life and I'm going to tell you about it. When you come to me in prayer, you may be asking this but I'm going to give you this because this is what you need. Repent. Get this idol out of your life. So prayer promotes sanctification. And finally, prayer creates the opportunity to see the living God. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. I planned on reading that. It's marvelous. It's this description of these idols and how worthless and stupid they are and how amazing the living God is and all that He controls and how ridiculous it is to trust in something that's dead when the God who created everything has invited you to ask Him to work. Now think about that. God has invited you and me to ask Him to do things in our lives and the world around us for His glory, and we get to be a part of that. He wants us to ask so He can act, and we can see His work and give Him glory. When you pray, and He answers your prayers, you will have seen the living God. You will have less interest in dead ones. See, prayer gives you a chance to see the living God. So how do you move forward tonight? Let me give you a couple things to move forward. Number one, just start praying, okay? You're worried about, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to listen. I don't know all the stuff you said. I'm not sure about the, the, the best school of prayer is to pray. Just start praying. You'll figure it out. God cares a lot more about your life and your connection with Him than you ever will. And if you just start praying, He's going to help you. He's put His Spirit in you to guide you. Just start praying. Pick a place, pick a time, and start moving in the right direction. All right? Number two, put reminders in your life. Joshua chapter 4 is the story about how Joshua commanded the people because God said, put these stones out beside the Jordan River as a reminder. So one day when your kids walk by and see those stones, they'll say, hey, Dad, what's the stones for? And you'll say, 
God delivered us. We crossed the Jordan on dry ground, and he did this so the entire earth might see the might of God and fear him forever. So set reminders in your life all over the place. And in fact, remember and recognize that every single thing in your life is intended to be a reminder for you to fear God, for you to pray, for you to seek God and trust him. Everything. All the created things in your life were never intended to be idols and take the place of God. All the things in your life were intended to remind you how great and good he is. And so set some intentional reminders in your life. Put a post-it note up, whatever it takes. Put intentional reminders in your life and then begin to try to recognize the reminder in all things to trust and fear and seek the Lord. Now, and then also pray with other people. Just regularly pray with some other folks. There's some incredible promises of Scripture. James chapter 5, verse 16, about being healed. Spiritual and sometimes even physical healing can happen when we pray together. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, talks about when two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be. There's something about the people of God gathering in the name of Christ and the presence of God in those moments. Well, I don't know a better way to gather in his name than to spend some time praying with some other folks. So pray together. I then incorporate some fasting every once, in your pray, every once in a while in your prayer time. Just every once in a while, go without food for a meal or two or three. And in that place of that meal, spend time in prayer. What you'll find is your physical body will actually at that point help you pray. You'll be so hungry, you'll be really wanting to ask the Lord for things, you know. I mean, it, it, it will really motivate you. And so it can be very helpful in the fight against idolatry. And then just keep moving in the right direction. If you're in a place where you're just moving away from the Lord, I'm going to talk more about this on Sunday morning, but just move in the right direction. If you remember, if we don't fight to be free from idolatry, what will we become? Like idols. Remember that? We will become deaf to the Lord and unable or unwilling to speak to Him. That's not what God wants. You know what God wants for each one of us? In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, God says, Who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know what God wants you to become like, to reflect? Jesus. And he started the process for you by sending Jesus Christ to die, be raised again from the dead so that we might through faith have his righteousness. And then he's placed his spirit in us. So we're never without him and we can talk to him at any point so that through prayer we might have Jesus all the time. Makes it a lot easier to say no to idolatry. Prayer will help. And if you don't pray, you will not be able to fight towards freedom from idolatry. So pray. Respond to the invitation.